Hey guys, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that's my lovely wife Liberty. And we're a married couple who are trying to inflict our hobbies upon each other. That was a harsh sigh. Gonna make each other like what we like, whether they want to or not. And we're gonna do it with the latest news in books and sports and some book tags. I'm excited, do we have book tags today? We do have a book tag today. Next week we won't, but this week we do. Okay. But first, we'll do the book news. It's short and sweet this week. There's not a ton going on outside of two things that I will briefly mention and not really discuss further. And it's first that J.K. Rowling has a new book coming out and it shows that she is a turf and she is the person we've known she is for quite a while. She is writing basically a transphobic book. Her main character is going to be a man dressed as a woman who is committing crimes and that's like their method of trying to get away with it and it just aligns with everything we know and hate about her and I don't want to go any further than that in discussing it because I'm sick of giving her my brain space. Well, I got educated this week. I knew she was a monster, but I've never heard the word turf before until you explained it to me. And so I'm educated now, guys. I'm sorry that I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Everyone has to learn and grow. And then some people are like her and being bigots and ridiculous. And we're not going to go any further into that. I'm tired of giving her my brain space outside of me reading the Harry Potter books, which again, in my opinion, are so different from the message she is sending as a person that I don't have a problem reading the Harry Potter books. I would have a problem giving her any more of my money. So that will not be happening. But I can separate the person from the work just because of how different the messages are. And moving on from that to another person I hate, it's news about the books that are about Trump. All the people jumping ship, writing books, making a lot of money, and it's just, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Like, that's most of what the book news was this week, and I'm just sort of done with it. It's not Bob Woodward's book, right? Yeah, and it's just like, I... These people have gotten enough attention. Like, if you truly felt as horrified as your book makes it come out to be... How could you work for him in the first place? You couldn't have worked for him, or you couldn't have worked for him as long as you did. You would have jumped ship a lot sooner. You wouldn't have gotten this information and been able to write a book. So, we're keeping that part of the podcast short, sweet. I'm not giving the people that I don't like and truly have a lot of bad feelings towards to take any more of my time, attention, or my effort. I'll be honest, when the tapes came out, I was kind of hoping that he'd try to deny it and be like, that's not my voice. Right. And it's like, clearly it was, dude. Don't be stupid. And he didn't. So yeah. I was like, because yeah, I said those things. I'm like, oh, so you are awful, just like everybody thought right. you were. Yeah. But I agree with you. That's as far as we should discuss it. Well, I'm just tired of it. I'm yeah. really sick of it. And I am the person who discovers the book news and decides what gets talked about on this podcast. So I decided that at least for this week, I'm not going there. Maybe next week. We'll see. So it's going to be short on the book news. We have three things to discuss. The first one is that the first volume of Barack Obama's memoir is going to be coming out two weeks after election day. So it'll be out on November 17th. It's going to be called A Promised Land. And it's basically going to cover his time in office for that first term. And it's going to discuss his journey, his wife's journey, their journey together as he was working in the White House. Okay. 
It's going to be distributed by Penguin Random House. There's supposed to be a volume two, but it really hasn't been discussed yet. So who knows if and when that I was going to ask you what volume, it, how many volumes it was going to be because you're like, oh, it's volume one. I'm like, of six? Of, it would be one of two. The first one discussing his first for four term years and, and then, then the second, second his the second, second term. Years, yeah. So I don't know if I necessarily want to read this. I am so like in over my head with politics right now it's too much but also there's a lot of law that's been discussed that i've never heard of before due to certain people being the president so i might just be done with politics right now and i just can't anymore it's been a tiring four years but i still think it's going to be a good book i liked obama as a president but i also liked him as like a person I thought he was a funny guy and a good dad and i especially liked seeing all the like non-presidential sides of him like you had the person who came out with that book of all these behind the scenes photos of obama that he took while he was working for the white house you also had the who is it that got coffee with obama and did a video and it was on netflix oh yeah um in cars getting coffee yeah not comedians in cars getting coffee right no no no, it was comedians in cars getting coffee. But then they couldn't drive anywhere because he was the he president. He was the president. Yeah, so he had they to stay just... on the White House's property. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that was also fun to see him and his sense of humor. And so, like, I liked Obama. I would probably like this book. I don't know if right now is the time for me to read it. Yeah, it was Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, I don't like Seinfeld, so let's just skip him. <laughs> Skipping all the things I don't like today. <laughs> Jesus. I think it'll be good. I think I'll probably want to read the first one after the election has been over for a while. So the second piece of book news is that Jessica Young, I believe is how you say that, she's a former member of the K-pop group Girls' Generation, and she'll be releasing a YA novel this month. The book will be called Shine and comes out on September 29th. Is it translated from Korean or like if they're K-pop? From what I understand, it's English. Okay. So it's described as crazy rich Asians meets gossip girl. That could be chaotic and or maybe entertaining. Well, there's already a crazy rich Asians crossed over with gossip girl as a book to begin with that's come out in the past couple years called Anna K and it's like an Anna Karenina retelling but set in that kind of setting but this one is about a 17 year old Korean American girl who's being trained at a renowned k-pop company in South Korea and despite the fact that this is a fictional work it's Sounds a, a lot like narrative that closely mimics her own life right. and so like fans will enjoy this because it's like getting the inside scoop on what she's been through I don't know how people who aren't fans of hers are gonna necessarily like the fact that it so much goes with her own life She discussed how she thinks in good fiction, you have to have truth mixed in with the fiction. And that's what makes good literature. I can kind of see that, I guess. Which I can agree with, but it's just sort of like, how close are you being to your own life? And is this basically just like a memoir? And why don't you just write a memoir? Like, what are you trying to achieve in the fictionalized work that you couldn't achieve in a memoir? 
Right. So that's something to look out for. I think it could be one of those that if you like Crazy Rich Asians, if you like Gossip Girl, you might like this. If you like K-pop, you might like this. So it just depends. It's clearly not going to be a book for me, to say the least. You need action 24-7 is what we're discovering. You can't even have a chapter of setup for anything. You have to have action all the time. It's not 100% true. Okay, we'll see when we get to uh, the next discussion on Harry Potter. Yeah, it's not going to go well. (laughs) For the last bit of news that I have for this week, there's a book that came out last month called They Wish They Were Us. That's a mystery thriller, I wouldn't say horror, novel And it's already getting turned into a TV show that's going to start Halsey, of all people. I don't know if she's done a lot of acting. I was going to say, I don't feel like I've seen her in anything before. But she's going to act and produce along with John Mark Ballet, Crazy Rose, 5050 Films, and Endeavor Content. So a lot of producers on this one. And the show is actually going to be called The Player's Table instead of They Wish They Were Us. And it is said to be perfect for fans of Gossip Girl and Pretty Little Liars. So Gossip Girl fans, you get all sorts of things to try out. And the book is basically a murder mystery that's set at an exclusive prep school on Long Island. Hmm. And I've heard about it a lot in the book community. So I'm not necessarily that surprised. It is a quick turnaround to get picked up for something. So a month isn't very long. That's pretty intense. I was trying to look up what she's acted in, but I can't find a thing. She's in a lot of soundtracks for IMDb, but that's it. Yeah. I don't think Halsey's acted in anything. So far, nothing. But that is all of the book news that is fit for me to talk about without having some sort of fit of my own. So instead, we're going to move to a fun, cutesy tag that I don't know how much you're going to be able to participate in because you, again, don't have a lot of books that you have read. I'm working on it, guys. I really am. Well, I think it will get a lot easier when you finish Harry Potter and you can read shorter books. But we'll run through the Disney tag. So it's questions that have come from, like, Disney-related things. It's cutesy. I was going to say, I know Disney things, so this might not be It's not actually about Disney. Oh. So, like, the first question. Got my hopes up. I'm sorry. The Little Mermaid. Name a character who is out of their element or a fish out of water. So, it's not really about Disney. Uh... I thought of a Harry Potter answer first before I came up with a non-Harry Potter answer for this. So, you should be able to come up with an answer for this one. So, it'd be like a fish out of water? Yeah, so they're just completely out of their element. There's two options, actually. I I may have thought a different one than maybe you. I don't know. I was thinking Filch just because he's a squib. He's like completely out of his own when it comes to dealing Uh, with all these magic kids running around doing things. I mean, it could be argued that since he's a squib and not a muggle, that could be different. But I thought of Luna. That was going to be my second choice. She's very out there. But also Lockhart, when he comes to the school and is trying to teach. Yeah, definitely. That's a whole messy situation. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought of Filch, but that's also kind of a good one. Yeah. But the one I wrote down is Avery Grahams from The Inheritance Games by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. And it's kind of the whole point... To say it was pretty relevant considering you just read this book. Right. It's kind of the whole point is that she 
goes to this billionaire's estate and she's, and like she's completely swept doesn't up belong. in this world yeah. and like one of the clauses in her inheritance is that she has to stay here and go to the school here right. in order to get her inheritance. So like she's just completely out of her element, living in a billionaire's house with a bunch of secret passageways and people she doesn't know or trust. So I thought that was pretty fitting. I would agree. It's pretty fitting. Question two is Cinderella, a character who goes through a major transformation. And I thought of a Harry Potter one and I put it down. So that's just what my answer is. A major transformation. So like in Harry Potter, I don't know too many. Like obviously... The Harry Potter one that I'm thinking of doesn't fully finish their transformation at the point where you are in the book. There is one that I think you could use as an answer because I know you've read this series, which is Triss from Divergent. That's true, yeah. Because she starts out as this like meek little girl and by the end she's gone through so much... And she's, like, she's a changed. hardened, like, warrior at that point. Criminal? Yeah. You were going to say criminal. I wasn't going to say criminal. <laughs> Never even came to my mind, but... Came to my mind. Yeah. I guess in a sense, like, that's what they, like, made her up to be was a criminal. But realistically, she was just a hardened warrior ready to fight any battles that came along her way. And, like, you could say that she goes through one in the first book. Yeah. Because that's what the training in Dauntless is about, is getting rid of who you were before. Oh, you mean, like, military training? Don't get me started. Then also throughout the series as a whole, she has her own arc going. So that would be an option. For my answer, I put Neville, but you don't get to see all of it at this point because you You're haven't finished the series. Starting to see it a little bit because like of the DA meetings and stuff like yeah. that. You kind of see him coming along. Didn't he also get a new wand before fifth year? Or am I thinking of something else? No, Ron got a new wand before fifth year because I, his previous one was broken, wasn't I'm it? I'm pretty sure Neville got a new wand before fifth year and he was using his dad previous to that. I could be incorrect. I'd have to look it up. Well, I, I'd say you're probably incorrect because supposedly like Neville's family is pretty well off. Like His grandmother kind of comes off that way. Anyways. But it would work out and go with this whole theory I have that Neville's grandmother is trying to force Neville into being more like his father. Yeah. And so, like, forcing Neville's dad's wand upon Neville to use is kind of like, you must be your dad, here's your dad's things. And yeah. Yeah. But I could be wrong. Again, I don't know. I've read the books a lot. I haven't read them that many times. Question number three. Snow White, what is a book with an eclectic cast of characters i don't know what your answer would be for this for me my answer is the long way to a small angry planet by becky chambers and it's really because you have such diversity across the characters and not just in like the human characters you also have a bunch of different types of aliens who are on this ship going to do this work on top of that you kind of have them some of them are pretty out there. So not only do you have it in diversity, but you also have them acting like eclectic. Yeah, I don't think I really have one necessarily for that. At least none of the stuff I've read that I can I think remember anyways. Any book where you have like this found family trope, you're going to have this in. Like in Six of Crows, you've got a whole bunch of weirdos who have all banded together to do this impossible thing. Yeah. And... Same thing with the characters in the Lunar Chronicles. By the end of those series, you've got a whole cast of characters who are very diverse, but 
You've also got one guy who's like this crazy, I used to be a pilot and I went rogue kind of guy. So any found family, you're going to have a bunch of eclectic characters and you're going to have a lot of diversity or at least in literature now. I don't know about like the first heist books or like things like that. But any of them that have come out within like the past 10 years, you're going to have more diversity and more weirdos. You'll get there. Yeah. I think you're going to really enjoy found family tropes, or at least I hope you do, because I do. Number four, Sleeping Beauty. What is a book that has put you to sleep? Anything you read after eight o'clock at night puts you to sleep. (laughs) In fairness, my work probably isn't the most physically exhausting, but mentally it is taxing. Yeah. So, like, when I tell people what I do, they're like, oh, that shouldn't be all that bad. And I'm like, well, you know, there's things that wear you out mentally, for sure, with the job itself. But in turn, that causes me to be very tired by the time I get home. And that's usually the only time I get to read. So I'll come home, I'll have dinner, and then start reading. And if it's not fast-paced enough, no matter how awake I'm trying to be, I, I, I lose that battle. Is there a book that you have read that's just so boring that it would put you to sleep no matter the time of day? I don't think I've read a book that bad. Lucky you. (laughs) I've avoided that so far. So, and I know it's just me. It seems like kind of maybe copping out a little bit on the answer, but like, I don't really remember anything that's really been like, man, this sucks. I'm just going to fall asleep. Yeah. So I actually kind of have two answers for this and one because it's recent and one just it's that bad. Under the Dome by Stephen King. I like the premise of this book. I like the actiony parts of this book, but there's some nitty gritty tiny details that doesn't, it never feels like it has a reason to exist. And at those parts, it's just boring and I'm going to fall asleep. Right. And the second answer is The Magicians by Lev Grossman. Because I literally fell asleep on the couch one day when I was reading this and I had to like wake myself up and go do things. And if you know me, you know I hate naps. I don't want to take a nap ever. I don't like when other people take naps. I don't think naps should exist. And like I want to be the kind of person who can take a nap and enjoy it, but I'm not. So it takes a lot for me to be able to fall asleep, let alone fall asleep accidentally. And whereas, like, role reversal, the cat and I are pro-naps, we uh, try to take them as often as possible. I would think that a cat would be, and I know you are, as much as I don't like naps. That's the one pet peeve I don't think you'll ever work past with me. Don't think so. (laughs) But at least I can get you to read books, so there's that. Slowly but surely. Question five. The Lion King. Name a character who has had something traumatic happen to them in their childhood. The main character of the book I'm literally reading, Harry Potter. You yeah. can also do Neville. Like, Neville had something crazy traumatic happen. Yeah. Or for that matter, anybody that can see those horses that pull the carriages at Harry Potter. Like, they, any of the above, D. Like those people have all had traumatic things happen in their life. Thestrals? Yeah. I put Winter from the Lunar Chronicles by Marissa Meyer. And that's, like, actual, like, heavy trauma stuff for anyone who uh, is gonna read that series. Winter is probably the one who has the most trauma happen to her, but Cinder also has a traumatic event with the loss of her father and like a bunch of stuff I can't talk about because it gives away the plot of that book amongst the others. Well, considering eventually I'm gonna probably be reading those books per recommendations from our listeners and or you. Maybe not 
they're like retellings of fairy tales, but it's also like an overarching plot. And I don't know that it's something that you'd enjoy because it's not fast paced enough. Gotcha. But it's got a found family trope. So I don't know. Maybe. Question six, Beauty and the Beast. A beast of a book that you were intimidated by, but found the story to be beautiful. Hmm. Since you haven't read that many books, I don't know what your answer is. And I really haven't read that many chunky books either, necessarily. Like, honestly, The Order of the Phoenix so far has been pretty great. And it is a chunker in comparison to the books I've read in my lifetime. It's a tome. It's definitely a tome. Yeah. So I would probably say that so far. There's been a lot of enjoying moments in the book for me. Like, I've thoroughly enjoyed reading it so far. Like, shy of exhaustion and me trying to sleep. Like, that's been the only thing really getting in my way other than all the playoff stuff that's going on right now. You mean sports are getting in the way of books? Yeah. That's a problem? Yeah, it's not a problem, but... It's definitely been making it move slower, that's for sure. Yeah. For me, I put Kingdom of Ash by Sarah J. Mass. This is the last book in the Throne of Glass series. That's one reason I was intimidated, but also it's nearly a thousand pages, and that's scary. And it was really good. I had my heart torn out of my chest multiple times just for it to be put back in. And it's a beautiful story. And I know that the Throne of Glass series kind of gets talked down on. I think for anyone who likes YA to adult fantasy, this could be something for you, especially since I want to say it's like middle fantasy. Like it's not a high fantasy book, but it's also not down there. I think it's edging closer to higher fantasy, but it's not a high fantasy novel series. So that one for me. Makes sense. Number seven, a character who gets their wish granted for better or for worse. Hmm. For better or for worse, gets their wish granted. I we could really use what just happened in the book, I guess, for the twins just now. Like they they quit Hogwarts and their wish kind of came true when Harry gave them the money from the Triwizard Cup. So like, I feel like that that's kind of their dreams coming true. They're able to open their shop and stuff like that, and in turn, like that was always their dream and their wish, I guess. Yeah. There's also one that I thought of for you for books I know you've read. Triss from Divergent, she was able to sort of set aside the side of herself that she was raised to be and sort of become someone she wants to be. So she can both be someone who has all the traits of a Dauntless, but still remember where she came from while also getting away from that sort of like lifestyle she didn't want to live And the whole reason she wanted to leave in the first place. Right. That's another option. For me, I said Nahiri from the City of Brass. Okay. Because she's always wanted to be a doctor, but this is 18th century Cairo. No one's going to train a woman to be a doctor. And so she does all this con work and like tricking people out of her money to get by, but she just wants to be a doctor. She just wants to study medicine. And then throughout the series, you see her learn how to become a doctor, but then she also has to deal with what it took for her to become a doctor, where she had to go, the things she had to experience, leading to a lot of trauma and bad things. So, like, I would say that's for good or for bad. Yeah. Number eight, Mulan, a character who pretends to be something or someone that they aren't. Hmm. I can only think of one for you off the top of my head. Tends to be who they are. They pretend to be someone they're not. Ah, that's a tough one, I feel like. 
off the top of my head from the last book you read. Yeah. Who would it be? Bertie Crouch Jr. Oh, yeah. Pretends to be Mad-Eye. Yeah, but he doesn't pretend. He literally assumes, like... Yeah, but he's not person. actually Mad-Eye, whether he's wearing, like, the skin or looks like or whatever. He's never been and never will be Mad-Eye Moody. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think deeper than that, I guess, but that makes sense. Well, I mean, you could also take it as, like, someone who's, like, two-faced, someone who acts one way around certain people, another way around other people, but they're not really either versions, so... Yeah. That's also another option. Or, like, people trying to hide themselves, that's another option. Like, the one that I'm thinking of, which is Selena Sardothian from the Throne of Glass series by Sarah J. Mess. Especially in the first and the second book, you kind of think you know something, but you don't really know something, and you discover it later in the series. Question number nine, Toy Story, a book with characters you wish would come to life. Can I choose Toy Story? That would be cool. Um, well, but, this is a book tag, so yeah. maybe if there's a Toy Story book. I'm sure there is. <laughs> like, you know, Disney, Disney would not miss that cash cow, I promise you. No. Um, I don't think you do Divergent, because I don't want those people anywhere near me. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy going on in that series. Hmm. That's a tough one, too. I would almost, like, go to a throwback, like, to the era of, like, Dr. Seuss characters. I feel like there'd be some cool Dr. Seuss books that could come back to being, like, real life. I think that'd be pretty neat. Maybe the cuddly ones. Yeah. Not the cat if the cat's going to be, like, the cat in the movie. The cat in the hat. I thought that was a very good interpretation of the cat in the hat. Really? Yeah. I thought he was a little crass for the children. Well, it was meant to be entertaining for the adults, too, that were watching that. I guess. So. I said that the Harry Potter books are an easy answer, but the non-Harry Potter answer is a little more complicated because I like Murderbot from the Murderbot Diaries, but I don't want to, like, experience that world because Murderbot goes through a lot. And he just wants to, or they just want to watch their serials. So, like, no, I don't really (laughs) want to experience all that. Question number 10, Disney Descendants, who is your favorite villain or morally ambiguous character? All right, so... Our favorite baddies. Favorite baddies. If, if you're really talking about the change of the baddies, you could choose Sirius Black, because, like, he goes from being, like, the worst nightmare of Harry, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, you're my godfather. Mm-hmm. But if it came down to my favorite baddies, I really like Snape, and I know it's, like, frowned upon in the Harry Potter community, but, like... I think the people who read Harry Potter go on an adventure about their feelings with Snape as time goes on. Yeah. And I'm talking about even after you finish the series, you still have, like, an adventure to go on with your emotions towards Snape, I think. Gotcha. Well, right now, I'm all aboard the Snape train, because, like, realistically, like, the hatred he has for people after what I've read this week, I kind of understand it. Yeah. I, I really do. And you told me that that might change, but for now, it makes a lot of sense. I just, I don't like Snape knowing everything I know and having time to ruminate on everything that I know. Having a lot of time. I definitely don't like Snape still. Yeah, but as, as he was being bullied, considering all that, like, he turned out okay. He joined a Nazi group, you think he's okay but he turned against them and became a spy so like but you don't know why he did that yeah you haven't gone down that road yet no so don't start arguing for things you don't know yet for this i put that victor vale from the villains duology by v schwab is my favorite morally ambiguous character or morally gray as i would say 
because morally gray is my favorite color. And so he's my favorite. <laughs> it's your favorite color, huh? It is. Yeah. But that is the Disney tag. So discussing what I've been reading, I managed to read the thing, the three things that I said I was going to read. And I didn't think it was going to happen because I was running out of time. The books hadn't arrived, all this other stuff. But the last one was so good that I managed to fit it in on Saturday. Yeah, you read it practically in one sitting. Not in one sitting, but I did read it in less than 24 hours. Yeah. I just had to also be an adult and sleep and eat and all that fun stuff. What's sleep like? I couldn't even begin to explain it to you. But the first book that I read for the week was Christmas Wishes by Sue Moorcroft, which is a Ned Galley arc that I had. And I gave it three stars. And I think most of the reason for my bad feelings for this book had to do with they set the book up as one thing and it was something else. There's not enough Christmas, I think was your complaint. Actually, no, it wasn't. My complaint was that the book is sold as like a second chance romance happening in Christmas time when a girl meets up with a guy that she went to high school with one day and circumstances lead them to live in the same town that they were originally raised in when their lives had led them separate ways before. Gotcha. And really, there's a lot of like parenting in this book. There's some parent neglect in this book and very obvious and kind of distressing scenes of a toddler being neglected by her parent that leads to the main male character having to take on responsibilities for a child that's not his own. So like if you're in any way affected by neglect of pets or children or anything like that, this isn't a book for you because that's one of the like running themes throughout the novel and that was also hard. It's kind of like the opposite of a Christmas story that you would expect. It's supposed to be setting up the main male character as like he's such a good person he's taking care of a kid that's not his and he's doing all these really nice things so like it's supposed to be like the foundation for you to like this guy. When in reality it's just like it's hard to read is what it is. It's I think I could have liked this guy without you throwing that in. Right. So that's part of the reason I also rated it so low. There is a lot of Christmas, which is nice. I always love Christmas things. And you get a lot of snow and romance and all of that was good. But I don't know that it outweighed all the other bad things that were in the book. But it still did better than some of the arcs that I've read recently. So that's saying something at least. And the second book that I read this past week was I reread An Ember in the Ashes by Saba Tahir. I kept it with my original four-star rating, which is what I gave it the first time I read it. And it was different reading it this time versus the previous time because some stuff I expected to happen in this book really happened in book two because I had binge read the whole series in like a week. Gotcha. So... It was the a little, lines were blurred. It was a little muddy in my head, so I'm glad that I'm rereading this before the last book comes out. And basically, An Ember in the Ashes starts out as a story about a girl whose family is treated very poorly by the ruling class, and she's part of the oppressed class. And so she turns to the rebellion in order to try to get her brother out of prison. And in doing so, they want something out of the exchange. So she has to spy for them and things happen from there. I still really liked it. I think I liked it a little bit more this time. Not enough to change the star rating. But I remember in my review last time I said I didn't get why it was so hyped. 
but I think I understand the hype better now, or at least I do from having read the other books before. So same star rating. I still really enjoyed it. I'm going to be excited to do my reread of the next one at the end of October. And then the one book I was very excited to read finally arrived towards the end of the week last week. And so I read In the Hall with the Knife by Diana Peterfriend and gave it 4.25 stars. It was a mystery that was released last fall. So last spooky season it was released and I had never heard of it until recently. And when I heard of it, I went ahead and ordered it and it finally got here. I read it in less than 24 hours. It's really good. And it is basically an isolated closed circle mystery. So these kids and a few people who work at this private school, this boarding school in isolated Maine, are stuck on campus when a snowstorm suddenly blows in overnight and when they wake up in the morning someone has killed the headmaster in the conservatory or at least his body is in the conservatory and it makes you question if someone there did it or if someone snuck onto campus during the snowstorm as an opportunity to find something or someone valuable and it was really good i really liked it again 4.25 stars so really really good for me i normally don't like mysteries so says the clue lover or herself excuse you i do love clue that is my favorite movie i watch it every year (laughs) so it's a clue mystery so i'm not surprised that i love this too right i don't know where they're gonna go with the next one it comes out in the middle of october i don't know when i'm gonna get my hands on it because i have so many books that are already on my october tbr if i can fit it in i will And the only real plans I have for next week to read is Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. That would be my last book for the month. That's my TBR. That's the last book on my bookopolathon. That's all the books I planned on reading. So if I fit anything else in there, that's just going to be icing on top of the cake. Nice. Because I've already read nine books for the month and started on my 10 this morning. That's pretty crazy. That is crazy. And as for what you've been reading, you are now three quarters of the way through Order of the Phoenix? Yep. And things have been happening. A lot of things. Obviously, we left off last week where Hagrid was, ta-da, I'm back from my adventures of trying to persuade giants to come and fight alongside us. So he has his first class, and we were speaking about the Thestrals earlier. You find out that there's very few people in the Hogwarts world that have experienced death seeing them yeah, yeah seeing death and in turn being able to see the thestrals at the same time it's not really shocking who was able to see them it seemed it so, would be people you would think would yeah more or less oh, okay yeah and it kind of explains like luna lovegood being able to see him too and all that yeah it makes it kind of sad yeah a little bit you're like wow okay uh, darker things going on here now That is pretty much the series from now on. It's just always a little bit darker, a shade darker. Great. I hope you enjoy it. I I don't normally enjoy those types of books, so that should be interesting. There's also this thing that the author, whose name I'm not going to say, does throughout, and it's layers in comedy with, like, the serious stuff, so it helps alleviate a lot of those, like, bad feelings. Yeah. Uh, and then Angelina picks her new team from the, you know, banishments that came down upon the Weasley brothers and... Uh, Harry. 
and Harry. Most prominently known character-wise, Ginny Weasley becomes the new Seeker. The other two are like names you I honestly don't think I've ever heard of before now. No, but is one of them Coots? I, I don't I, I couldn't even tell you to save my life. That's okay. how important it seemed to me. <laughs> You had the final Dumbledore army meeting before Christmas, which was interesting. You saw some cool stuff going on. There uh, was some action in that one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> of not that kind of action, but like some uh, Cho Chang action for Harry. And then also like a weird crying bit that went on mm-hmm. with Cho Chang as well. I couldn't fathom the emotion she's going through because like she liked Harry already before... She got attached to Cedric. To Cedric. And so it's, I, I just, it would be so weird to be like, yeah, you came back with my boyfriend's dead body. It would be very difficult to still see Harry in a romantic light and not feel like some layer of guilt. Right. And so it's just like, as I'm reading it, I'm like, this, this seems like it should be so much more awkward than it is. And somehow it's still awkward, but just not to that same level of awkwardness i guess is my expectation would be yeah harry ends up having a vivid dream which seems to be occurring more often as we go through the book this time he wakes up as a snake attacking mr weasley which is weird because it's like you dream of being a snake like that's the weirdest dream i've ever heard shy of like some of yours I do have some fun dreams. We won't, we won't go into those Harry's for are privacy pretty vivid. reasons, but yeah. I think Harry's might be more vivid than mine. Yeah, I would say they probably are. He wakes up from the dream and Ron is standing over him. And shortly after that, McGonagall arrives with Neville because Neville went to go find McGonagall. Yeah. He's like, basically explains it to McGonagall and then he has to explain it more or less a couple more times across the next chapter, which like I couldn't fathom being like, dude, I just... I already lived this once. I don't need to live this like four or five times. That seems to be a thing with Harry constantly having to relive things. Yeah. And it's, I couldn't fathom how annoying that would be. Like, because he shortly thereafter has to re-explain it to Dumbledore as soon as they get to the office there. Immediately Dumbledore's reaction is to send out the previous headmasters and headmistresses in the portraits to go figure out where the hell Mr. Weasley actually is. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of a cool extension. I didn't realize, like, I always believe that if you're in that, that building you had the access to go to the next frame but beyond leaving like the castle you didn't have that capability but it's any portrait of you right so like dumbledore could be like on well hence why you could do the chocolate frog cards and things like that Yeah, yeah so like you could be on a chocolate frog card and then be on like an actual portrait elsewhere which i think is absolutely crazy but i think it's kind of cool at the same time yeah yeah and McGonagall's basically sent at that point to go collect the rest of the Weasley children while they're waiting for answers to come back. And the pictures start coming back to him and like going, nope, nothing here, nothing here, nothing here. And then they're like, yes, we found him. And he's at St. Mungo's Hospital for Magical Maladies and Injuries. It's a mouthful to say. Is it not maladies? I don't know. It's the way I would have pronounced it. Maladies, I guess, makes sense. It's okay. I learned how to say chameleon from reading it in a book when I was a kid. So now I have to prevent myself from saying chameleon, hey, which is my first inclination. Gotta have that big chameleon. You know, when you make your first chameleon, <laughs> you never look back. <laughs> look, I was like four. I know. It's okay, pterodactyl, you know. I'm not um, the one who ever said that. I know. Either. That's a good one, by the way. But yeah, it it's just a mouthful for... But it makes sense, I guess. It looks like some of my notes got deleted, which is really great. My laptop freaked out while I was writing these, so... Okay. 
Well, Dumb- Dumbledore sets up obviously the port key. Port key mm-hmm. transports them all to. I believe it was the kitchen, right? Is where they arrive in the kitchen or like the dining area. I'm pretty in sure the basement. It was the kitchen. Yeah. And, like, I could, like, obviously Sirius expected them coming because he had already heard through the portraits that they were coming. I guess that was kind of a good thing. And then shortly after, they all start talking and trying to figure things out. Like, Harry's just eating himself up. Yeah. He's beating himself up all over the place. He's guilt-ridden. Yeah. And then the letter comes from Miss Weasley saying that he's alive. And he's like, you kind of see, like, a little sigh of relief. Harry's still kind of like, dang, I still did that. Like. It's just a rough situation because like he feels like he's being possessed, but like not possessed. Obviously, he's just he hasn't come to the realization that he's just seeing things that other people or snakes are doing. No, that Voldemort is doing because you got to be realistic. Like he he takes control of the snakes in the past, so why wouldn't he be capable of sending that snake to go attack Mister Weasley? You know, in that instance. So I kind of see it like he's seeing whatever Voldemort is seeing. More so than anything is the argument I would make, but okay, I haven't gone that far in, so you know I've only seen you have it. a theory. I've seen it from two perspectives so far. So Harry ends up breaking down the dream to Sirius and goes even into the part that he hasn't really explained to anybody that he wanted to outright kill Dumbledore, which I thought was like kind of crazy. Like he wanted he just to attack had him. The thought flash through his brain. Yeah, and that leads me kind of more to believe like the Voldemort theory I was just on, but again, I'm not far enough in the book to make a hundred percent stance on that yet you will find out next week yeah next week on the order of the phoenix i thought it i didn't say it. yep well i don't have a filter so congratulations they end up visiting mr weasley and they're eavesdropping with the extendable ears and harry ends up hearing like conversation like he might possibly be the weapon yeah and harry's like fine just rips out the extendable ear and just like I'm clearly the weapon, you know, starts beating himself up about it. Does this kid not have enough guilt trips? Seriously. Right. And then they get the pleasant surprise of Hermione arriving at 12 Grimmauld Place instead of going skiing with her family because she doesn't actually like to ski, as we learn. I would think that maybe that's just an excuse. And, like, I have theories about why Hermione is around so much during holidays, but that's a theory that I'm not going to go Because she's been introduced to the family with Ron? No, I think it's more to do with the fact that she, being a muggle-born, feels this pull to decide where she really is with her muggle parents, or if she's tapping into her magical side. Yeah. And she has to choose which one she really wants to be, in my opinion. That's a pretty tough inside battle, too, to be fighting. Yeah. Ginny immediately, like, after Harry's been just kind of downed on himself, I think it was like two or three days, he was just hiding away from everybody else and ignoring everybody else. Ginny comes in and goes, listen, idiot, you're not being possessed. If anybody should know what it's like being possessed by Voldemort, it's me, because I have been. Literally been possessed by Voldemort, and based on what you're describing, you're not. So get over yourself. And I think this shows Ginny's growth. Because she couldn't have said that to him a book or two ago. Oh, she couldn't even talk to him. Yeah, you know, so. It was like, type conversations coming out of her mouth prior to that, so. So, it's good to see. Yeah, she's gaining some confidence. Uh, the day of Christmas, they go back to St. Mungo's to visit uh, Mr. Weasley. And they found out that him and one of the healers decided it was a good idea to try to use human medicine and have stitches put in place. Yeah. And then realized very quickly that it was a very poor decision. I thought that was kind of funny. It's always funny to see stuff like that. 
And Mrs. Weasley's reaction is just so funny to me because, like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, why wouldn't you try stitches? But in her mind, she's like, you did what? You you were showing what to what? Yeah. Like, you used human medicine for a magic wound? Are you stupid? Like, <laughs> And the two of them start fighting, so everybody kind of was like, we out. Yeah. Ron, Hermione, and Harry wander off to go try to find some type of food or tea. Like, they're just trying to get away from the arguing. Yeah. More so than anything. And they run into our favorite, not favorite person, Lockhart. He's okay like this. Well, yeah, but he doesn't know who he is. (laughs) All it took was a memory charm, and now I suddenly like Gilderoy Lockhart. Yeah. And he's just sitting there signing autographs for people, but he's like, I don't know why, but everybody seems to still want him. Like, he's getting letters in the mail and stuff, where people are just being like, send his signature still, so... I think that's kind of funny that that's still happening. Um, But he escaped from the more permanent ward of the hospital itself. Yeah. Uh, And they take him back and the healer's like, oh, it's so great that you came to see him and blah, 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 blah. Like, and Ron's like, we're we're not here to see him. We're just trying to find food and and something to drink. But then you have to. Yeah. And in turn, while they're there run into Neville and his grandmother and that story pours out. That made me so emotional the first time I read it. I I didn't get emotional, which is maybe a little bad, but I am shocked you did not. I I felt bad for him because like it wasn't on his terms. And for that reason, like that sucks. But at the same time, it's probably a weight lifted off of Neville at least a little bit, knowing now that his close friends know the story about it. Obviously Harry already knew, but Neville didn't know Harry knew. Right. So now he could talk to people about it, I guess, which is a win in some sense. I agree that it not being on his own terms is bad. And that's part of what's so hard to read about that scene is because you just have all this embarrassment and like, I don't know, I don't want to say shame because I don't think he necessarily feels shame, but like you have this side of Neville that he never wanted anyone to see and he had no choice but to let people in and to see it. Yeah. And I think at the same time, he gained respect, though, for what he's gone through with both Hermione and Ron a little bit. And I think that is a good thing. But at the same time, like, I totally understand, like, trying to avoid that at its best. So, and you get a little bit more of the understanding of, like, the backstory with Bellatrix and the magic she used. I think a little bit more than what you saw in, like, the pensive in the previous book. Coming back on chapter 24, you have Snape showing up at 12 Grimald Place to let Harry know that Dumbledore has basically told him that he wants Snape to teach him Occlumency. Hopefully I pronounced that right. Mm-hmm. The other one I'm going to screw up. I already know it. So, And Snape and Sirius are Snape and Sirius. I don't... Like, I, I don't really their, need to go into details about it, I don't think. Like, it's just, just in their DNA at this point. They can't help but fight when they're around each other. Right. If I remember correctly, chapter 24, Mr. Weasley does come back from the hospital. I believe so. I think so. Um, Because he helps them get on the night bus. So that would make sense. Yeah. He does come back while they're still there. So yes. Yeah. Uh, When they get back to school, Harry gets to have a nice awkward conversation with Cho Chang about how their Christmases were. And both of them don't really know how to talk to each other, which is weird. Awkward. Yeah. Also, that's how teenagers are. After they've kissed and then I just a- walked away. I can attest that that didn't come natural to me either. But Harry finally realizes what she's trying to get him to ask, which is to go on a date with him for Valentine's Day <laughs> through the next trip for Hogsmeade. She's like, oh, did you hear that the next Hogsmeade day is Valentine's Day? And he's like sitting there like, okay. 
What did What did you want from that? He is so clueless, and not just about romance. He's just clueless in general. They started their classes for the ocul. Yeah. So they started their classes for the occlumency. Yes. And Snape is explaining why he needs to take this lessons from him due to the fact that Voldemort is an expert in legilimency. Legilimency? Not that one. Yeah, words. I knew I was going to butcher that one. You were okay with the first attempt. Which is the magic that allows him to have the ability to extract memories and feelings from other wizards and people. Which sounds pretty intense. Horrifying. Yeah. No thank you. His first training session doesn't go too well. But what did you really figure... You know, it's a new form of magic. It's not something that you're just going to be like, I know how to do this. Right. You have to struggle. So he has the dream of him running down the hallway to the Department of Mysteries. Right. In the Ministry of Magic. Yes. And the only reason he really remembers it, I think, originally is due to the fact that he saw it when he was running to his court case, basically, right? Correct. Yeah. Snape's, like, asking him, like, how do you know about this hall? Like, starts playing 20 questions with him. Why is this in your mind? And then immediately Harry turns around and goes, what's behind door number one? You know, like, let me know because I've never gotten there yet. Um, What does it protect? You know, what what do they do? Tell me something. And that night Harry ends up feeling a pain in his scar as he's going to sleep. He determines it to be, like, a happy pain, which is kind of weird because you find out what he's, you know, Voldemort's happy about the next day. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's weird that he discovers it's a happy pain. Like, anything that is, like, a serious emotion that Voldemort feels, Harry gets some sort of pain response to. And that kind of goes back to Harry and him being, like, attached in some way, shape, or form, magically. The amount of times that's come up in this book is endless. That is a theory. Yeah. Next day, Hermione gets her daily profit, and guess what's on the cover? The news that he would have been happy about, Voldemort would have been ecstatic about. Ten former Death Eaters escaped from Azkaban, including Bellatrix Lestrange. It's like, great, that monster's out, and I'm sure Neville was... Sick about it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A new decree from Umbridge is that nobody is allowed to talk to students about anything other than subjects they teach, which I thought was a weird one. And I think it plays out in an entertaining way later in the book. Actually, I really enjoyed it. Like, I was like, ah, that's wise. Play by her own rules. But Umbridge basically is attending every divination and care of magical creatures class at this point because she's got her two targets. She wants to get rid of Hagrid and also wants to get rid of Professor Trelawney. It's no secret at this point. The gamble is who's going to go first, really, more or less, in the book. And I even felt that way before, like, rereading some of the those sections. I was like, man, she was really just gunning for him. Like, yeah, Without she a was. doubt. And in response, Hagrid realizes that, too, obviously, and tells Hermione, Ron, and Harry to, like, just stop coming by his house because she doesn't need any more attention and doesn't want them to get in trouble in the process of it either. Yeah. I basically just wrote in my notes for this chapter as well because this is the Hogsmeade trip. Harry's date with Cho is an utter disaster. Awkward. Yeah. I, I really don't want to go into it for my own anxiety's sake. Like Basically, Hermione wants to meet up with Harry later for some unspecified reason. Harry says okay. He goes on his date with Cho, mentions it. Cho reacts poorly. Because and, he didn't mention it very well. Right. And then he goes to meet with Hermione, and Hermione explains yet again how Harry has is messed so up. It's so stupid. Yes. Yeah. And then Ron asks her to write a book about it, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah. Well, she understands more than the guys do as far as emotional intelligence goes. Yeah. Then, obviously, at the Three Broomsticks, you have them doing the interview with Rhea Skeeter for the Quibbler. 
Yes. Yeah. Since that's the only one that would publish it. Yeah, right. Um, Harry's story gets published in the Quibbler. We find that out literally at the very beginning of the next chapter. Uh, ends up being the most popular edition that has ever been written, is what was mentioned by uh, Luna. Yeah. And then I thought it was funny that like all these letters that came pouring in of people that either doubted Harry or believed in him through all of it. So I thought that was pretty funny. To be completely honest, like he hasn't gotten a letter all year and then all of a sudden it's just pouring, writing down letters on him. Umbridge in turn responds with a new decree banning the Quibbler from being allowed on campus of Hogwarts. In turn, Hermione's response is, there's only one thing that can make something more popular and it's if it, a teacher bans something from everybody seeing it. Yeah. And so it just blows up. Like Harry's story is all over the place. You're finally getting people who are like, wow, you... You've been telling the truth the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Like, no kidding. And I love the twins' response to it being banned. They make a giant large copy of the cover on, and they put it on the wall inside the common room. It's blurting out things from Harry's mouth about how awful Umbridge is. As it gets weaker and weaker, the spell, it's just like shouting out the word poo, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. Like I said, you have some serious stuff, you have some funny stuff, it all works out together. And then you get another vivid dream. Harry has a vision as this time from Voldemort's perspective, discussing the death of Bode, as you corrected. I would have said Bode. Uh, I could be wrong. Just because of, like, Bode Miller, the athlete, my brain naturally goes to names like that. I want to say it's Bode, but I could be wrong. About the death of Bode and whatever secret weapon he's trying to get in the Department of Mysteries and the fact that Bode was utilized because he has access to that department. Yeah. But clearly does not have the capability of accessing whatever the actual item is that they're trying to get because he literally goes off the deep end. Trying not to tell you things you're not supposed to know. Okay. I think I already know some things that have been spoiled thanks to the internet, but I'm trying to avoid it the best I can. Okay. Well, they are pretty old books, so I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. In discussing the dream with Hermione and Ron, Hermione guesses that Bode was under the Imperious Curse. Go figure. No brainer. And so we get more into the Occlumency training with Snape later in the book. And Harry uses a defensive spell, like Protego or something like that. I believe yes. it was. And it ends up more or less backfiring the magic that Snape used. And well, in turn, Harry was able to kind of see some of his memories for a very short amount of time. Yeah. The only problem is Snape is a little more trained in defending it since Harry flying across the room. I would hope so if he's supposedly a spy for them. I would imagine he's probably very well qualified to teach this yeah. stuff. And then that training session gets interrupted by what I literally put in the notes, Trelawney scene. They hear a woman screaming and they're like cutting the actual training short because of that and go and find Trelawney. I would describe as like drunk and distraught is kind of the way they describe her. Accurate. That's yeah. very accurate. Like her suitcases are just in shamblesly stacked at the bottom of the stairs and there's a crowd that's gathered around and Umbridge is basically telling her that she's sacked and she can't come back. And then Dumbledore comes to the rescue and goes, well, you can hire and fire people, but I have the right to keep them here in the castle if I want them to be. Right. Um, and that's another thing that kind of puts some uh, thoughts into good old Umbridge's head about the way things are run at Hogwarts. 
Right. Either way, it seems like Dumbledore is prepared to replace her already because he knows he has to. Otherwise, the Ministry will place somebody else in. Well, yeah, that's part of the rules. Really quickly. If Dumbledore can't find someone to teach, the Ministry will find someone to teach. And he puts Ferenz in that position, which is kind of ironic because he's a centaur and like obviously they also like to predict the future but by different methods more like sciencey related instead of trelawney's bs methods i would say that they're both kind of bs methods because how do you predict the future but and then in chapter 27 you have the scene with the dumbledore army is working on patronuses and you see that chose it's like a swan right yes and then Hermione's mastered hers, and it's an otter, and I'm like, that's so dope. I wish I had an otter Patronus. That'd be super cool. And while they're working on that, and they're kind of just, like, taking a little bit of a pause, Dobby interrupts and comes barging in and basically lets them know that someone's coming, and everybody's like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, panic, and they pack up and leave as quickly as they possibly can and go in opposite directions, and as Harry's running away, Draco Malfoy catches him in the act of running and trips him up, and I believe he uses the impediment curse to basically put him like bow just stops more or less so he couldn't keep running after he tripped up and umbridge ends up showing up and dragging him more or less by the ear to dumbledore's office where cornelius fudge is awaiting and that scene gets really interesting because they bring in marietta the sneak yeah the one who told yeah and in turn she can't say anything because of the fact that hermione's magic worked well, she doesn't want to make it worse. Right. And so she's not saying anything to them. They're trying to pin all this on Harry and they find the list eventually and it has Dumbledore's army written on the top of it. Yeah. And so Dumbledore just immediately starts taking the flack for Harry. Yeah. Which well, is honorable. Also, I have thoughts about this that I can't explain to you because you haven't read the whole series. But also thinking about it broadly... Who out of the two of them could take this sort of thing and survive it? Like, take the blame for this and survive it? it Dumbledore can better than Harry can. Without a doubt. So that's part of the reason. And then Dumbledore more or less disappears, like poofs, which is kind of great. And I think it's neat that he takes out so many people. Yeah. Yeah. There's your action. Yeah, right. He goes, I don't want to harm anybody in the room. And I'm like, wow. Dude, you're vastly outnumbered, and you have auras there, so it's like baller. Yeah. Knocked him all out, and then I love that McGonagall pins Harry down, and Marietta, I believe, as well. Yes. Dumbledore, like, rushes over really quick and, like, says a couple things and then actually disappears completely. Yeah. Everybody else is coming, too, and, like, super confused as to what actually happened. And then begins the control of Umbridge. Some of my favorite scenes so far of what I read this week with the twins just causing utter chaos for her. But what about McGonagall causing utter chaos? I mean, she doesn't cause chaos, but she certainly doesn't help. Yeah, I I really liked that chapter a lot. And then you have Harry exploring Snape's pensive memories, which was... Hard to read? Yeah, a little bit. Like, it was tough. Because it's like, you're basically bred this entire time to hate Snape. And then you're like, oh, wow, he was treated like absolute dirt. Like... But you also have to understand that you are seeing the memories from a certain perspective and you're only seeing certain memories. I want you to understand that you are not getting the broad perspective as well. Yeah. And then Snape tells Harry he's no longer going to teach Harry occlumency any longer. He's done with it. I mean, his mind's been violated. Although he has been violating Harry's mind. So. On the regular. 
But see, he was allowed to do that. Yes. Harry wasn't really allowed to do what he did. Yeah. Harry also has to meet with McGonagall for his career choices. That uh, was a fun scene. And then Umbridge was in there as well. And more regularly, like, it's just like McGonagall just dropping the mic on, on Umbridge over and over, which was very entertaining. And Harry gets the itch to contact Sirius. And George and Fred have a distraction in mind so Harry can break into Umbridge's office. Since technically her fireplace is the only one that's not being monitored by the Ministry of Magic, so... A little fishy, don't you think? Yeah. Well, you know that there's funky things going on. Yeah, yeah. I just think if you're going to implement a quote-unquote security measure, you should probably do it for the whole castle. Yeah. The conversation through the flu network happens. It's a lot of Harry complaining to Sirius and Lupin about how they treated Snape. Well, and like, my dad was like this, and you guys never said he was like this. Yeah. And in the process, Fred and George's distraction is really just a setup for them to quit school at Hogwarts and announce that they've opened their business in Diagonal Alley. Diagon Alley? Yeah. Diagonally. Diagonally, yeah. if you watch that movie. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much wraps up what I read this week. I tried to get through it a little bit quicker just because I feel like there's a lot of little details that really, like, they existed, but it would be basically spoiling everything for people 100%. I don't like doing that. Well, and you're reading so many pages, but also, like, so much is happening in this portion of the book as well. So it's pretty much all action-packed. It's overwhelming how much stuff was going on. And if I broke down all of it, it's kind of like if I went through every sports score from all the leagues that we talked about. Oh, yeah, would, we don't do that. It would make you blow your brains out. I so, probably would. Yeah. I think the thing with this is that you may not be connecting all the dots necessarily at this moment. I say that knowing you haven't, but you're kind of not meant to connect them all at once. And like things develop over the last two books after this. So like things that you're thinking and feeling now might change over time or things that you hadn't even thought of come into play later on. I would imagine it would considering there's still two whole books for me to read after this. But so. I think both of them are shorter than this one. So there's Things are that. looking up. <laughs> I like book five though. I've enjoyed it so far as well. It's not my favorite. I, me saying this as I'm going to read it this week. But I still like book five. I would say it's about the middle of the Harry Potter books for me. So like it's not my favorite, but it's not my least favorite. Like I, I'm enjoying the Cho Chang and Harry stuff to an extent. It's the a little awkward. awkward. The awkwardness is rough when it comes to reading. And like you were making comments about like what puts you to sleep. Stuff like that puts me to sleep. Like, Well, because that's more interpersonal and it's yeah. less action-y. Yeah. So. And so far it really hasn't affected the story that much as far as I can see. Like, I think. It's like a secondary plot. It's like a subplot. Yeah. I think it's kind of supposed to be because... There's no way that teenagers could be trapped with each other for seven years and romance not happen. I think this is sort of like playing into that. And I think you got a lot of Harry not having to deal with romantic feelings for the first three books. A little bit in four, more so in five, also in six and seven. But I feel like for Harry's romantic life, you see most of it in book five. Yeah, and that's kind of what it seems like. But I think... You're gonna like a few of the scenes that happen later on. There's one scene I'm worried about you reading, and it is action-y, so that's not the problem. But things happen that I don't know how you'll react to, and that's all I'm gonna say. Cool. Well, I'll be finishing the book this week. After that, we're gonna be watching the movie, which I will say I don't like. I've I've grown to hate the movies more and more, which... (laughs) 
is... That's not the point of this. I know. Well, it's working like that uh, in this instance. And I, I learn more and more that the characters in the books, I'm actually more attached to than I am with the movie. But at the same time, it makes sense that that's the case because well, you're I seeing more. They're more well-rounded. Yeah. And so they're more the like real people all the way through it. Yeah. Yeah, and they're more like real people that you can connect to, which you right. can't really with the right movies. I almost called it a TV show. Yeah, it's definitely not a TV show. But I think we're gonna wrap it up on that note, unless Liberty has something surprised for me for books. Well, now I have to bring you a surprise next week. I have nothing right now. Okay. So we appreciate you guys giving us the time and the listen, and make sure you check out all of the social media, which should be linked down in the show notes. And we'll catch you next week for sports starting off again. As always. Catch you next time, guys. Bye. Bye.